hypothetically, we could take on pretty much as many clients as we want. It is a game changer. I'm Ian Harvey from New York City, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. We often hear stories about how career changers bring a valuable perspective to financial planning, but Spencer List CFP brings an entirely new origin story to our podcast. Up next, Spencer talks with Hannah Moore CFP about how he went from shocking debt and financial literacy as a musician to becoming a money mentor to fellow artists, a certified financial planner, and a process automating hero at a firm where he's on track for partnership. Are you a new financial planner looking to build stronger client relationships and provide more comprehensive advice? The accredited asset management specialist designation program from the College for Financial Planning, a Kaplan company, is specifically designed to help new planners expand their skill set and expertise. Through exploring the asset management process, you'll be able to think in terms of your client's total financial situation, not just their investments. FPA members save 15% on eligible Kaplan programs. Get started on advancing your career today. Visit kaplan.com backslash FPA members. Well, thanks for joining us today, Spencer. Absolutely. How did you come to find financial planning? Well, I spent about 15 years as a professional musician. So I'm a career changer. And it was about August 2014. Um, I went on a tour of the West Coast the Brazilian band. It was really fun. It wasn't one that paid that much, but it was more just like a summer fun tour to do. And that was three weeks. And then right when I got home, I had the opportunity to go out of the country for the first time to Italy for my grandmother's birthday. And that was two weeks. So it was five weeks of not much inflow and a lot of outflow in my bank account. And I came home and I can't remember the exact number, but it was my checking account was dismal. And up to that point, I had been a massive saver. I had always had enough, um, you know, to, to be good, even in emergencies. And so that was kind of my first wake up call, um, that maybe I wasn't as prepared as I thought I had been. And so I thought I never want to experience this again. And I never want any other musician to experience this again. And so I started teaching myself um, everything I could about finance and to try and improve my situation. So books, podcasts, talking to people. I mean, it was, I just put all my energy into it and I really turned my situation around in a massive way in a short amount of time. And so I started teaching musicians financial literacy. So I started a podcast, a blog, I made some online courses, and I started giving talks at schools and conferences. And um, I had a, I created a 12-week coaching program, and it was going, you know, the musician crowd, uh, the starving artist stigma is prevalent in that industry. And I was trying to break that, but at the same time, it was hard to reach a lot of people, granted. I had a ton of positive feedback. Um, And so that was sort of the start of my interest in finance. Um, But then I wanted to learn more so that I could be better at um, teaching musicians financial literacy. And I wanted to meet more people who had expertise and just wanted to surround myself 
with people that had that knowledge and get more insight. And I started looking up conferences to attend. And one of them said you had to be a CFP to, to go. And I didn't know what that was. So I looked it up and saw that it was this program. You take some classes and you can become a certified financial planner. Thought, oh, that's pretty cool. That might be really useful. Um, so I looked up the classes and all the class names, insurance, investments, tax planning, estate planning, etc. All of those were the same names of each week of my coaching program. They were literally named those same things. So I was talking about those topics, not at a CFP level, but at a basic level to musicians. And so I immediately signed up for the classes um, at SMU here in Dallas and not to become a CFP, but just to learn and to hopefully translate that into to my teaching. And so, but once you're in the classes, it didn't make sense to pay all that money and take those classes and put all that effort in and not take the exam. So I said, okay, I'm going to take the exam. And then I thought, well, there's no point in doing all this without getting the experience requirement to become a CFP. So I just kind of stumbled into it. And, um, and then, so I found Michelle at Paradigm at an FBA meeting. And um, now I've been at Paradigm for about two and a half years. And now I'm a C- I've been a CFP, got the experience requirement finally in February. And so, yeah, I'm a CFP now. And uh, I actually, I stepped away from playing music professionally Um 100%. So I only do it for fun now, which has been amazing. Um, that's a whole nother story, but being able to just do that without any money attached to it has changed my life. So. Oh, that's so neat. Okay. There's so much in your story that is just so, so just fascinating. Uh, first of all, I just love that you were just like, I just wanted, I don't want other people to experience this. And then you just started doing it. I think so yeah. many people, look for permission to, to do this. of like, Oh, I need to get my CFP before I can teach other people, but you just, just did it. And and I think that's just really admirable. Thank you. You've been in a firm now for, you know, two and a half years and you did all your financial literacy. I'm curious for you to just kind of compare and contrast what is financial literacy versus financial planning? With paradigm, it's definitely commingled a little bit. We're, uh, we're definitely educating a lot unless they have no interest. Um, but we, we encourage that and we kind of set that expectation at the beginning because it is important for clients to understand what's happening. Of course, the whole, a lot of the reason that we're working with them is so that they can delegate a lot of that critical thinking and knowledge. But with financial literacy, I see it as, typically I see it as someone who just has no, learned nothing, which is a lot of people, especially in America, more um, more of a baseline understanding, saving, emergency funds, sort of your starting place, um, just starting to get into how, what, what do tax brackets mean? Not necessarily um, the advanced stuff that might not even be relevant for, for someone who's just kind of getting their finances in order. So I see financial literacy, and this is maybe just my bias, but the, that it's more for people who who want to improve their situation and financial planning is for people who have either you know they've they found themselves in a position um, whether through hard work or luck or both 
um, where they have, you know, enough to maybe live the life that they want, but there 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 are risks um, with their lack of knowledge about certain things that a planner can help with. And I think that's how I see the difference between the two. Well, and I, and I loved your point of saying that, you know, at Paradigm, it's it's a little bit of both of, of seeing all of these areas together. Mm-hmm. And we work with young families. So in that way, it is both because those young families, you know, they're either just about to get married. They're about to get, they're about, they want to buy their first house. Um, they might want to start having children maybe thinking about saving for college or life insurance or whatever comes with. So we really like to work with those people because there's so much to do. That's really fun planning wise. But again, they are in that category in terms of financial literacy where they might not really know even some of the basic things like how much to save and how much to have in their savings account. So we definitely do both. With the, like the course that you built for musicians, what was that experience for somebody going through that? So the first course I created, which maybe wasn't the best course to make first, was a tax course. And I wasn't a <laughs> CPA, so I was very careful and just kept it really high level and educational. And it was just, I did it where, you know, like 30 people could sign up for it. And it was a live like video, like maybe even on Facebook. It was so long ago, I can't remember exactly. but And I just talked about all these different topics. I think I did like three different hour sessions and then I just turned that into a recording. So if anybody in the future wanted to watch it, they could sign up and watch it. Um, And then I also had the 12 week coaching program, which was more like a one-on-one. I'm a super introvert. I guess I'm an ambivert, but I definitely more introverted. So I I do better with one-on-one conversations and connection. And so it would be 12 weeks, one hour a week, one-on-one, just over Zoom. And we would go through each topic. And I can't remember all of them, but, you know, the first one would just kind of be a a general introduction and just kind of getting to know where they're at. And then there'd be savings, uh, insurance, investments, taxes, I mean, and on and on and on. Every week was a different topic. And then we would have... It was pretty robust, to say the least. So every week it was pretty jam-packed. They'd have a lot that they would be doing in between each week and learning a lot, getting a lot of resources that they could go and learn more about those things. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's really cool. And so were you like charging people for this, I'm assuming? or Yes. But at first, um, so I did... It was called Thriving Musician, um, and I did that for, it was about a little over two years because once I really um, got into Paradigm full-time, my capacity ran out. So I did end up, um, I'll say pausing. It might be done for good, but for, you know, for now, I went ahead and stopped all of it. So at that time, I was doing where people would pay, but then also I had a few people who kind of would test it with me. So I just kind of did a, you know, complimentary to help give feedback and so I could make it better. So you, you have this, just this inherent, like you wanted this financial education for yourself. So you did it, you created it for musicians, you took the CFP classes, you, you know, did the exam. What did you expect walking into a financial planning firm? Like, what did you expect that experience to be? And was it that? Suit and tie and no. 
Um, I got lucky, I think. Um, I interviewed at, I don't know what you call it, a wirehouse or something like that. I don't know what these, a lot of them are called. So I had no idea going into the industry what all these different things were. And I interviewed this one place where they said, you sort of run your own practice and they pay for a year and then you're on your own after that. You kind of have to like, I guess you, you get your friends and family. I don't know. And it just didn't seem right. And so I, I moved on from that and then I, I just got lucky. I went to an FBA meeting and I met Michelle. Um, and so she's in Dallas and they took me on just to, to help sort of part time. And I, I showed up to the office to meet them in a suit and tie. Uh, <laughs> and it was obvious that I shouldn't have been wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> and she said, Oh, you don't need to wear a suit and tie. And uh, so we talked and then, I think I came back like a week or two later to talk a little bit more seriously um, about working with them. And I showed up again in a suit and tie and she said again, stop doing that. (laughs) So um, I don't know what a lot of firms are like, but the more I'm exposed to X, Y, and just a lot of the different programs that I've been through since being with Paradigm, Um, It seems like there are a lot of more relaxed firms out there or like people who are running their own practice and they hire some help. Um, So I feel very fortunate um, that we are very relaxed. You know, it's um, it's unlimited vacation. It's, you know, get your work done, but you're an adult. And so, of course, that's been difficult for me because musicians don't take vacations. So I I don't know how to take vacations. So I'm still (laughs) learning that. But it is not what I thought it would be. And I couldn't be more thankful that it is the way it is because that's who I, it suits me very well and allows me to reach my full potential for sure. And so as you started getting in the client meetings, did you see a lot of similarities with like the musician, um, the musicians that you have been working with the clients that you see at Paradigm? I did in the way of their knowledge and understanding. It was pretty much the same. Um, but their lifestyles were a lot different and their mindsets were different. I would say, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our clients, I'm not sure how to put this, but you know, there's the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset. And I can just tell that with a lot of our clients, their abundance mindset has led them to the position that they're in to, you know, to be able to, to hire a financial planner, to take them to the next level, to live their ideal life. Um, and in the music industry, it's just a different, it's a different world. And so that's all I can say at this point about that. Oh, very, very interesting. Okay. So now I know some pieces of your story. So as you got into, into paradigm, how have you seen your role change and develop? I know you said you were started out part-time and I believe you're Mm -hmm. full-time now. Yeah, so I started out part-time and I was still playing gigs and doing all my music stuff. So I I didn't stop any of my music stuff. So I added part-time with Paradigm. Um, I think it even started at like 10 hours a week. I can't remember. Um, It was one of those things where it was like, uh, I don't know if I can do this. I think I need like more hours to make this work or just to be worth it. But I I went for it and, you know, said, okay, which... I think that might be hard for some people to do. You know, if you're, if you are in a completely different career where you are working like a nine to five, or maybe you're the only one who makes income in your family, 
it might be hard to take something like that. So I was in a position where my music schedule was flexible to where I could come work, you know, sort of part, part time and still do everything else. And then we slowly transitioned. So it was about two months and then they asked me to come on full time. Um, and I accepted and I still did all my music stuff. So at that point I was, um, and I was taking the classes, uh, CFP classes. So I was, uh, overloaded at that point, but in terms of my role, um, it's, it's so funny. Michelle might correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that anyone has really ever told me, like given me an assignment. I think she might have in the beginning sort of like, look at these clients and kind of just look over them. And, but really I just started doing things um, that I thought needed to be done. And that's sort of how it's been ever since. And my role has, and that's just the entrepreneur in me and who I am running my own business with music. It's so I found holes or things that needed to be improved and I started doing it. And that's been the case ever since. So um, I was in the client meetings right away and it was really awesome. The clients, you know, they didn't know my experience level or anything. They treated me just the same as Michelle, which was really awesome. Um, And then I started, you know, contributing and talking to the clients in the meetings. And, you know, I've led plenty of meetings at this point and, so I think it was, it's, it's probably not your traditional path. Um, from what I've heard from other, um, firms that, you know, sort of have a process of maybe eight years until you start leading meetings or whatever it is. Um, so maybe I skipped some steps. I'm not sure, but I also joined the industry, you know, in my early thirties. So I'm, I wasn't just out of college and I had a ton of experience, um, outside of, the industry on top of my emotional intelligence as well, which I think is super important. And so, yeah, now I'm, I'm automating everything at work and helping with uh, the website and marketing and branding. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking with them about where we want to go and who we want to serve and what does it look like? It's been awesome. And it's been, it's been a lot in a little time. So I feel like I'm in a hyperbolic time chamber. Oh, I was going to say that that's a lot of, lot of ground to cover in just two and a half years. Yeah. It is. Uh, so, okay. So tell me about paradigms growth since you've started there. Like, has it been that the firm has grown and so that's created opportunities or I, I'm curious how, how their growth has paralleled or not with your growth. I think when I came on, we had about 17 clients and now I think we're, in the mid seventies, I think it was 71, but we just got a few yesterday, the day before. So I think we're at like 73 or 74 now over the last two and a half years. Um, so it's been a lot of growth. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. I mean, we're, it's almost like we need to pump the brakes, but also we're trying to make this happen. And so a lot of the automation has helped with that to, to be able to handle it. Who's on the team at Paradigm? Like how many planners are there? Like who, who, when you started versus where you are today? So when I started, there were there are two partners, and then there was a third director of operations who started about six months before me. And I think they had had someone sort of looking for, or they had someone sort of in my role before me that just went other, they 
they wanted to change careers or just didn't work out. And so there were three and then I'm the fourth. And so Michelle and I do the financial planning and then uh, Kirk does all the investment management, compliance and technology and a lot, a lot of other stuff. And then Monica uh, does all, keeps the wheels on the bus is what we say. Um, and in terms of the operations. And so there's four of us and then we do have a virtual. So that was when I first started. Um, and then in the last like year, year and a half, I think, um, I sort of started doing a little bit of like the sort of pair planner role where you're, you're reading the documents and entering like recommendations and kind of your initial plan sort of that a pair planner would do. And after a few of those, uh, I think it was obvious to a lot of us that that was not my highest and best use. So we, we hired a virtual para planner, uh, like 10 hours a week or something like that. Maybe five. I, I don't remember exactly. So we have a virtual para planner and then, um, we have, um, had some ghost writers help with content as well. But that's us. Yeah, it's it's really just the four-person team for the most part. That's like full-time, you know, here in Dallas. And we have an office in Dallas and a small one in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is where Michelle's from. So she'll go up there about once a month. Looking back and reflecting on what your skill sets were and what were those initial, the competencies that you needed to develop in the first, you know, three or six months in order to really excel at your job? The main thing when I came in was... When I took the CFB classes, you do the capstone, you kind of learn all the technical stuff. But when it came to actually applying that to each client who's completely different, um, I even had like other pair planners, you know, examples in front of me. And it wasn't clear how to translate that into me doing it for a client um, because you know the standard sort of boundaries. You know, they you say three to six months emergency fund, right? That you've heard that probably a million times, but that's not the case for everybody. Um, same for life insurance. I mean, it's really easy to plug in the numbers and pull up pull up a report and say you need two million of term life for twenty years, but that's it's it's so much more than the numbers. So there's that human element, which we focus on, but which I, I did have the competencies there on the human element, but then trying to combine them together, it wasn't clear to me at first, um, kind of going between the analytical technical and including that human element because I was in the classes. I was really deep in that work. And, um, and that, that just took time to just really kind of get out of the, the CFP kind of textbook style planning. So has anything surprised you um, with really being in this career as a financial planner full-time? For me personally, the surprise has been the flexibility. Um, it seems like the industry is trending that way. I did not think it was really that way. Like I said, the suit and tie thing is what I was expecting. Um, and, you know, with COVID, we went fully virtual. We were doing virtual before, um, but now I work at home a lot. Um, which is amazing. I mean, I've got my piano right here, so I just, I turn to the right and I can play Beethoven sonatas, you know, whenever, uh, while I'm working or, you know, if I take a break or whatever. And so that kind of flexibility, the unlimited vacation, which I have yet to, 
to take advantage of or <laughs> learn how to do that. And having the space to do your best work when and how you can do your best work, I think that's what surprised me the most because that is what my life was like as a musician. I was in control of everything of my career and my life. And I thrived in that environment. Um, and I was not expecting that environment here. So uh, again, very thankful and grateful to be in this position. I want to talk more about this automation. Sure. Um, so tell me when you say that, like, what do you, what do you mean? And what does this look like from, uh, from an operational standpoint? I mentioned earlier that when I started working at Paradigm, I just started doing things. Um, if I felt like we needed something to be improved, I would just do it. And the main thing that we had an issue with was clients would not upload documents. They wouldn't upload anything. And I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's me. That's, <laughs> that's, that's our problem too. I've heard that a lot. And, and I was thinking, well, we can't, we can't do anything. I mean, you're at a dead end at that point. I mean, you know, maybe you get a tax return and you can, you can get a lot from that, but I definitely wanted all of it before even starting, which is not realistic. So I've learned that. And, um, but people wouldn't upload hardly anything or, or whatever, bring it to the office for us to scam. And so they'd start paying us and we wouldn't do anything because we couldn't, you know, in good faith, give any good advice without good information. We, we always like to say garbage in, garbage out. And we didn't even have any garbage. It was just a, just a can, an empty can. And so I was trying to think of how do we get people to upload the things that we need so we can do, do our best work for them. And so I started looking, uh, I tr we tried different things, um, but we finally landed on out of the million softwares out there in financial planning, we found one called precise FP and they, their main function at the time they they've expanded more, but was you can make these forms and people can upload their documents to it and it syncs to e-money. Um, and so, which is our financial planning software. And so I built um, this form that we send to people when they become clients and it walks them through where they, we sort of, we put the onus on them even more, which you would think that they wouldn't upload even more because now it's really all on them to do it. Um, but it walks them through, they can type in all their information and they can attach documents. You know, if they have life insurance, they can enter a few things and then they just drag that policy in there. And so in the end, when they finish, we've got all of the documents because it's like walk them through it instead of we used to just give them like a PDF and say, hey, we need all these upload. them." But it wasn't really encouraging them or engaging them through that process. And so that was the start. And once we realized um, it's like we got a we got a taste of the the apple um, <laughs> off the tree and then we had to have more. So. I just kind of went off and I built basically any kind of anything that we repeat, we don't do more than once anymore. So I have our whole process from when someone becomes a lead to a prospect, to a client, to getting through our first year process. We sort of have like a, an initial process that's pretty intensive and then ongoing. 
Um, I'm still working on it, but we're probably about 90 to 95% automated. And so that means, it means a lot of things, but I'll give a few examples. So hopefully that's helpful for people listening. Um, when we get an email, like a contact inquiry, whether it's from our website or from XY or from fee-only network or NAPFA, we, you know, you get the same email every time from those various sources. So we have, um, there's this program called Zapier, which some people might be um, aware of that connects different applications together. And so if we get an email from, let's say, fee-only network and the subject line is whatever the one they always send, it's like new inquiry or something, whatever that is, it will automatically read everything in that email and put that information into a task in our CRM, which is Wealthbox. So you don't even have to read the email. You just open your CRM and there's a task there for you to follow up with that person. And it's reading all the information that was sent to you. Um, when we schedule, when a client schedules a certain meeting, it will kick off all different kinds of tasks, whether that's pre-meeting work that needs to be done. And then it will wait um, until maybe an hour after the meeting to, to set off another task that might be a post-meeting task, like to follow up with them. And then with all of those follow-ups and communications, we use Text Expander, which you can basically type up anything you want and give yourself options within that to where you type in a little code, maybe in the subject line of the email, it populates everything and you can change a few of the options within the text based on what you're saying to them. So you never have to type the whole email again. You just click a few buttons and it's done. And I, I could go on and on. It's a, it's incredibly robust. Um, it takes me, it would probably take me six hours to walk someone through all of it, maybe more. Um, it takes a lot longer to talk through it than it is to just see it happen. Um, but we've taken so much off of our plate that's not financial planning and redundant. And um, so now we can just focus on the human element. So we can show up to the meeting and connect with that person. We don't have to worry about a lot of those sort of menial, you know, typing things and communication things. It's we're never having to repeat ourselves. Um, it's already happening. And it's, it's also walking the client and prospect through the process, which engages them more. So our engagement has skyrocketed as well, which so it's, it's a win-win for everybody. That just sounds like a game changer for your firm. Absolutely. So I mentioned we, you know, we had 17 clients and now we have 71 or whatever it is now in two and a half years. I mean, we can take on probably as many clients as we want. The, the issue is there is probably a capacity issue with ongoing. We would probably need help keeping track of everything, which is actually what I'm working on now, a, a system of keeping track of everything, quantitative and qualitative. Um, and so there's, there's a little bit of a roadblock there we're trying to figure out. But we've, the system is set up now that hypothetically we could take on pretty much as many clients as we want a month, um, you know, versus if you didn't have any of that, I've heard planners say they could handle, you know, one or two a month because the onboarding and the initial process is so cumbersome. And so it, it is a game changer. <laughs> Definitely. 
it's always a question of how can you add value, especially as a new planner walking into a firm? Mm-hmm. What is your advice to them? Um, if they're hearing what you're saying and they're like, yes, that's interesting. I want to do something like that. Find what's the missing link. What, you know, what's the piece that could get better at your firm? And think about it and think about there is a solution. There is a way. I didn't know that any of that software existed and it was out there and it's changed everything. So yeah. Were you talking to other planners at this point? Like when you were doing a lot of these automations or kind of, I mean, or was this really just like you walking in and saying, Hey, like there's, there's a room for improvement here. Yeah. No, I wasn't really talking to anyone else. I was so focused on like the classes. And then once I was, once I got started with this, it's, it's just been me and we talk through it, you know, internally. So we, we've actually mapped out, we actually did a retreat this summer to make it even better. We put a big butcher paper on the wall and sticky notes and like talked out every possible path that someone could go, whether they say yes, whether they say no, whether they're a good fit or not, or, you know, whether they do this or not, which so we, you kind of have to think about all the possible paths that could happen. Um, and then now I have this thing that I can continue to improve based on that. So we communicate with each other. Um, so that's definitely my advice is to, because there are definitely weak spots. I mean, at every firm, there has to be. And, you know, maybe that's not your complete focus, but what's the, what's the part you don't like doing at your job? Well, odds are you might be able to automate it or just find another solution because you need to be doing, there's above the line, below the line. So below the line is something that is not your highest and best use. And of course, you know, that might be a situation where you can't delegate to another person or a computer, but maybe you could do it a different way that you can find the tasks that you're doing, you know, maybe add, adding something else to it that makes it more interesting for you and more valuable, you know, to your firm or for your clients. So and that maybe that's just the way I think, but that's definitely what's led me to where I am is um, just trying to improve wherever improvement needs to happen. And whether you do it or not, I mean, even just bringing it up, it shows that you care. I mean, if you hire, you know, for people listening who own their firms and hire people, I can't imagine wanting to hire somebody who doesn't think for themselves or, or cares. I mean, it's really easy to hire someone off of Fiverr to do something for you, but you know, they do the job and they move on, and it, it could be a good job, but they don't they don't have a vested interest in what you're doing, you know, to a degree. So if you show that you care, I think that goes a long way. What's next for you, Spencer? Like, where do you see, where do you see yourself going? Well, so without revealing too much, um, we are discussing, you know, my future with Paradigm and whether that's partnership, ownership, whatever. So that we've been talking about that for um, a while now, which again, (laughs) I'm very grateful and thankful and another surprise. Um, I was not expecting that and didn't come into this with that as my goal or anything, but so we're discussing that. Um, but you know, I guess we could go anywhere. We're really focused on improving our business and that's sort of the main focus. I guess it depends on how long you're asking, but (laughs) it could go anywhere. I mean, I'm, 
I'm interested in doing all kinds of things. So I like the Michelle's a registered life planner and I've done the two day training. Um, but I've, I've even led some of those meetings, um, and done like lit the torch and all that kind of stuff. So I like, I, I like listening. Um, and I like the emotional aspect in the psycho, the behavioral psychology aspect of this. I like the technical part to a degree. Um, I am a math person. And that's sort of what led me to all this. I don't see myself moving forward in that direction, though. I think, again, it's sort of a highest best use thing. And yeah, I'm not really sure where this is going to go. I'm just so in the present. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. And I just have this like image of like just this piano next to you where you're just like, and you can just turn over. Yeah. And start playing. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's great. As we wrap up, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who maybe is starting those CFP courses right now and, and is looking at getting a career in financial planning? Do not take the exam the same month as your wedding. <laughs> because that's what I did. And, okay, so uh, before or after your wedding? It was after. So um, I, I think that's worse. Yeah, I I was in the middle of the, you know, you sort of have like a month or two between the end of your class and the exam. Typically, I guess it depends. But and so you do the prep class, which is brutal. It's four days or something for eight hours a day. I actually had to go to Houston for that because I um, my wedding weekend was the only weekend that the prep course was offered in Dallas. So I couldn't do the prep course in Dallas. I had to go to Houston, I think the week before or two weeks or I don't remember. That, that was all I was, hey, this is why I'm saying don't do this. So think about, I'd say, I can explain more about the story here, but the, my advice is plan out your process. So are you doing the one-year track where you're doubling up all your classes? Are you doing the two-year track? Um, which I did the one year, I wanted to get it done as soon as possible. You know, are you going to try to get your experience requirement? And when, when would your CFP marks hit, you know, can, can you get a job? Are you already in a field that has experience? Can you do the apprenticeship experience, which is only a two year requirement, which is what I did. Or do you have to do the three year? Like if you work at a bank, right? You're, you have to do the three year, um, so map it out to the best of your ability and then see what works best for you. So for me, I did the prep class in Houston a week or two or whatever before my wedding. I had my wedding in that. So I basically was studying all day, every day. And I took whatever the day before, the day of, and maybe maybe the day after my wedding to stop studying. And then I went back to studying. And a few weeks later, I took the exam. And it was insane. <laughs> I <laughs> So back to the advice. With the, the exam, you're not going to know whether you passed or not. Or I didn't. And everyone I've talked to said they didn't. Um, I don't want to scare people because it's not that scary. It's just an exam. It's just a you're just clicking the mouse on certain places on the computer for many hours in that day. Um, but trust the process. If you've put in the work, you're going to pass. And even if it's not on the first try, who cares? No one cares. That doesn't matter. If you put in the effort, I would almost rather see someone fail and pass the second time and say, wow, they persevered. They didn't care that they failed. They knew that they wanted it and they went and got it. That says a lot more to me 
Um, not that passing the first time is is bad at all. That's I'm thankful I did. Clicking that button is to end and see the results. They have little video cameras in the room on you, you know, at the test centers. I wonder if they have like footage of me and what I looked like when I clicked that button because I bet it's ridiculous because I was losing my mind when I clicked it. And when I saw pass, it was like, I never experienced anything like it before. I'm sure I just looked like a, I don't know, a petrified deer or something. It was, it was crazy. So trust the process um, and, and find mentors or just people like talk to people, email me. I'll tell you anything you want to know. I've already had people reach out to me before about my experience this industry is like none other. It's all about helping each other. There really is no competition. It's a blue ocean industry and people will help you. It's a great industry to be in. Love it. Well, I'm not sure there's a better note to end on than that. Uh, But thank you, Spencer, for being here with us today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Absolutely. Anytime. Are you a new financial planner looking to build stronger client relationships and provide more comprehensive advice? The accredited asset management specialist designation program from the College for Financial Planning, a Kaplan company, is specifically designed to help new planners expand their skill set and expertise. Through exploring the asset management process, you'll be able to think in terms of your client's total financial situation, not just their investments. FPA members save 15% on eligible Kaplan programs. Get started on advancing your career today. Visit kaplan.com backslash FPA members. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.